Welcome. We're glad you're here to join us at Waterstone. These weeks leading up to Christ's birth, we're taking a look at all of the miraculous events that surround the Christmas story. Christmas is the day that we are reminded that God is with us. It's the day we remember that God is in the birth of a baby, not born in the halls of power or into a life of luxury, but in an old barn to an unwed teen. The good news of Christmas is that God dwelt among us in the most unexpected way, and the world has never been the same. We're so glad that you're here and encourage you to attend in person if you're able. Our weekend services are on Saturday at 5.30 and Sunday at 9 and 10.30. My name is Madison Campbell. Uh, For those of you who know me, it's been a little while since I've been up here and a few changes have happened in my life in the last two months. Uh, First, I have transitioned off staff at Waterstone as the Connections Pastor and on to staff with Alpha USA as the Colorado Network Director. Love my job and I love that I get to continue to be a part of this wonderful community at Waterstone, even though I'm not on staff here anymore. I do love that I get to be a part of the preaching team. And second, and far more importantly, about six and a half weeks ago, we introduced our little daughter, Audrey Evangelist into the world, and that has been the best part, thank you, of my life. I want to say thank you to you all as well, because you have been sources of encouragement and prayer and just wonderful stories of helping us learn how to be parents, so thank you for your support of Elliot and I in this time as we have learned to be parents. So I am excited to be here this morning and to dive into Luke 1 and a little bit more of this Advent season. But before we get started, I am curious if any of you have had the experience of being in the car, singing at the top of your lungs with your friend in the seat, or maybe your kid in the back seat, and you're really excited because you just love this song, and all of a sudden, some verse comes, and you're like, oh, I did not know what those words were, and now I can't pretend like I do know what they are because someone's listening to me, and Oh dear. And and you have that moment of embarrassment where you're like, and dance solo in my car, <laughs> even though there's words going, because I don't know what this is actually supposed to say. Or you thought you knew the words and it's something about like a Starbucks lover or an ex-lover or Starcrossed or something with the Taylor Swift song, and you're like, I don't know what this is supposed to mean. Or, and now don't pretend that this is none of you. Some of you who are at home, you might be able to get away with this because I can't hear you singing, but I've been at weddings with many of you where there is a song that comes on that you profess to love and you're so familiar with, but you don't sing the verse, it's only the chorus. Now, let's see if if I can get this to work. If I sing, sweet Caroline, See, now all of us know that song and we love dancing to it and we love shouting it at the top of our lungs during a wedding, but the moment a verse comes, all of us go silent until it comes back and we're like, yes, bum, 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 and then we're like, okay, yeah. To be honest, I didn't even know the song was by Neil Diamond until this morning, so I'm very much in the hypocrisy of all of that. Uh, But I think this is what happens with things that we think we're familiar with. We just stop looking at them critically or, or really allowing them to come into our lives. And then there are moments where we pause because we're in the middle of a wedding or in the car with a friend or whatever, and we realize, oh, 
I didn't know that as well as I thought I did. There, there was a familiarity to it that made me think that I just understood all of this, but that's not actually true. And I think that that happens really frequently with the Christmas story. Every single year, we go through an Advent series. We hear about Mary and an angel and a virgin and, and some donkey, even though, spoiler alert, there's not actually a donkey in scripture. We just think that it, there is. Um, and then there's something about a manger and shepherds and angels and yeah, we get it, cool. Let's get to the part where Jesus comes and is maybe a little bit older. But this morning, I wanna challenge us to really pause what we think we're familiar with. Pause with the things that we just automatically fill in and maybe gloss over in scripture to look at this passage in Luke with some fresh eyes or really maybe some ancient eyes. I wanna challenge you to look at this through the eyes of a teenage girl who is hearing this news from an angel for the first time. And if maybe that's a little too far-fetched for you, Let's try to look at this passage through the eyes of an ancient Near East fly on the wall who's hearing this proclamation for the very first time. Because I think that there's something in this passage that is for us that we don't often see because we think we're familiar with it. So I'm gonna read Luke 1, verses 26 through 38, and then I wanna look at some of the ways that I think we can learn from this passage in new ways, that we can be challenged by it in new ways. Luke 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So we come into a scene where an angel has disrupted Mary's normal life. We don't know where she was. Was she alone? Was she in her house? Was she in a field? We have no idea. And tells her this news of a child. And this announcement isn't just a birth announcement. It's so much more. Gabriel in this time is announcing the will of God to Mary. Gabriel tells of a son who is going to be born, who is going to inherit the throne of David. He will reign and his kingdom will never end. But Mary's response to Gabriel's words is not to leap for joy. Instead, we read in this text that she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
This greatly troubled can also be translated as perplexed. And, and when we look a little bit further into the tense in the Greek, it's not this momentary, oh, I am troubled because I see an angel and then he tells me don't be afraid and whew, I feel better. No, it is a perpetual troubling. So even as Gabriel is talking to Mary, she is wrestling, she is feeling this fear and she is wondering what is happening. She, she doesn't simply feel the resolve of, oh my gosh, this is great news, but instead really wrestles with what can this mean? What, what does this mean? I don't, I don't know that this feels good. I don't know that this is good because I don't, I don't understand this. So even though she had heard the good news of God's will, she continued to be fearful in the midst of this joyous declaration. But I think Mary's response is something that you and I all experience at one time or another or repeatedly in our lives. And it's a question that I really want to look at this morning, which is what happens when the good news of God's will leaves us perplexed or with greater trouble in our lives? What happens when the good news of God's will leaves us perplexed or with greater trouble in our lives? What happens when God's agenda doesn't seem good? See, being a part of God's will doesn't mean we just get a free pass into eternity. Being a part of God's will often means that instead of hiding the extra income we made because it was in cash, we're reporting it on our tax forms. Or being a part of God's will means we're not lying on our life insurance forms. Or maybe it means that we're being sacrificial, not just in times of abundance, but in times of, sac of scarcity. See, being a part of God's will means that I don't get to hold resentment for my relative who offended me on Thanksgiving, but instead means I'm called to forgiveness because I'm in his will for the world. See, living in God's will makes spending money and spending time a lot more difficult because we can't just do it how we want to. We do it as God wills. There's a movie that came out earlier this year, and some of you who have kids may have watched it and may have wished that you never watched it because your kids probably loved the premise of this movie. It was called Yes Day. And the idea with this movie is that you have your children plan an entire day of what you and your family are going to do. And you as parents or guardians can't say no. Think about it. You have a five-year-old dictating every moment of your entire day and you can't say no. That seems terrifying to me. Now, I only have a six-week-old, so I'm pretty sure if I was to be able to dive into her brain, my day would include eating, sleeping, and pooping, which doesn't seem too bad. But for those of you with older children, just don't tell them about the idea of a yes day and you'll probably be fine. <laughs> but I, I wonder if we were to take this concept of a yes day and apply it to God's will, does that feel good? Does that seem like it would bring goodness in our lives? If we were to say, God, for an entire day, for an entire week, for an entire lifetime, I'm going to say yes to your will every single time. 
if you're like me, that doesn't bring about the most joyous thought. I, I can conceptually say, okay, God's will is good. And then I look at my life and I go, whoa, there are things that would have to change. And that doesn't, think, that doesn't seem like it's going to bring the greatest good in my life. In fact, that seems like it's going to cost me quite a bit. Or that might bring more trouble in my life. And I'm not, I'm not certain of that. So I want to ask, as we look in this passage, once again, what happens when the good news of God's will leaves us perplexed or with greater trouble in our lives? And I think that there are three main ways that we see through this passage that God's will might be good but doesn't necessarily seem good in the moment. See, the first way we see that Gabriel disturbs Mary's life by showing up unannounced, telling her she's going to have a child, and then giving her news that she doesn't fully understand. So if God's will is good news, I don't know that Mary in that moment would have said, yes, I think this is good news. So first, the will of God interrupts our norms and the regular flow of our life. The news of Jesus' birth immediately follows a passage where we find out that Elizabeth is going to have a child. A barren old woman suddenly does get great news. You're going to have a child. And then her cousin, Mary, a virgin, who lives in a society where her child will be perceived as an act of adultery, and that's punishable by possibly death, but certainly by being ostracized and shunned by her community, probably doesn't feel as good of news as Elizabeth's news. I think if I was Mary, I'd say, nope, thank you, that, that was not good news for me. I, I don't want to be removed from my friends and my family. I don't want to be perceived as though I've done something that I haven't done, and I can't really explain to people that an angel came and told me, and I this is just not good news. This has interrupted my norm. And the irony is that Gabriel has told Mary, you found favor. I don't know that Mary would have said, oh, this feels like favor. The word favor is, is the word grace, which means that it's unmerited, undeserved. And Mary goes, yes, this was unmerited. I didn't do anything for this. I don't deserve to be removed from my friends and family and perceived as an adulteress. But there's something else that's going on. See, I, I think that Gabriel's greeting of grace reveals that there's something bigger in God's will that's happening. I think God does interrupt our lives with his will, but it's because it's countercultural. And sometimes this does leave us troubled. And sometimes it is in a perplexing manner. Elliot and I have the privilege of doing life with a number of students, and this past week, uh, we got to get together with a student who's now in college, and he came to know Jesus at the end of his high school career. He's in college, studying science, really just an amazing student, someone that you want to be around. He's charismatic, he's driven, he's inspiring, and, and we just love to see the way that the Lord is using his life and moving through him. But this past week, he told us, hey, I'm not studying science anymore. We were like, oh, okay. He's like, I actually have discerned that I think the Lord is leading me to help with the church plant. And as Elliot and I heard him unfeel... 
heard him unfold the story of his process of discernment. I think where we would naturally have caution and hesitancy when we heard someone say, the Lord's leading me to change my life drastically, we couldn't help but affirm, my goodness, this is what God is doing in your life. He has completely interrupted your norm. He has completely interrupted your plan for his will. And now this student is following the Lord's will in an unchurched place that deals largely with anxiety and depression and suicide. And he is bringing the kingdom of heaven in that space. Now, before you wonder, oh my goodness, does following God's will mean that I'm moving across the country on a missionary endeavor? It might for you. But in all likelihood, for the majority of people here, it may not be that extreme. But it does mean that our schedules are interrupted. It means that when you are on your way to your manicure or to your job or to your tea time at the local golf course that you've been waiting to get, and you have a friend who calls you up and says, hey, I'm really struggling, you pause. Maybe you show up late, maybe you don't show up at all, and you help. Maybe this means that the homeless person that you keep avoiding every time you drive to work because you're always late or you really need your coffee before you get into the office, you sacrifice that morning coffee to help. Maybe this means you stop buying from a store whose ethical practices really don't uphold the value of human life. And even though you love the way these clothes look on you or it's the most convenient store to shop at, your life is interrupted and you find something new. God's will interrupts our daily lives. It interrupts our norms. Now the question is for you and me, are you willing to miss or be late to the next thing in order to be interrupted by God's will? See, this is not how the systems of this world function. In fact, we are told the very opposite story Watch out for yourself. Take care of number one. Do what you want to do because you're the only one who's going to look out for you. See, the good news of God's will in interrupting our lives is precisely what makes it hard. It is counter-cultural. And I don't know if you've looked around the world recently, but I think we need some counter-cultural will moving and working in this world. See, God's goodness in his will is that it doesn't conform to the ideals and norms of this world. It doesn't conform to the methods here. And that is what makes it good. So first, God's will interrupts our lives. God's plan is counterintuitive. It disrupts the world around us by going against the norms and expectations. And that's precisely why it's hard and good. Now, as if this wasn't the only hard part of God's will in our lives, Mary also didn't get to orchestrate how the news that Gabriel brought her would work. See, the second thing that we see in this narrative about God's will is that you and I are not in control of God's will. Mary asked the question, how will this happen? Which revealed that she didn't fully understand how the biology of where she currently stood and the outcome that Gabriel told her would happen were going to work out. See, 
Just like she was told by her womb, Jesus would come and she didn't have any power to orchestrate or make this happen. You and I don't have control over God's will in our lives. Mary didn't have control. And when we say yes to God's will, neither do we. See, some examples that we, we see in our lives, because I, I do think that control is one of the hardest things for us to relinquish. It's easy for us to say, yes, I'll say yes to God's will, when it doesn't actually have an impact on the expectations for our future that we had. It's easier to say yes to God when it doesn't have the implications of being disrupted, of having our trajectory be completely changed, of not knowing what, what's the next thing that's happening. See, we love to have control, especially over the way that other people perceive us, whether it's our social status or our capability or our competency or, or even our looks. Just look at social media. It exists for us to be able to control other people's perceptions of us, or maybe to be able to escape to a life that we wish we had because we have more control in that space. If you don't believe me, when was the last time that you posted a photo of yourself with your eyes half open? No one? And, and maybe you aren't a social media person, so what about finances? Now, I'm not saying that having a plan for your finances is bad, but I think having such a tight fist around it that you have your 10-step plan of how you will be able to retire and go to Cabo every single summer that cannot be moved or changed doesn't allow room for God's will to function within your locus of control. It is hard to let go of the control that we want in our lives. It is hard when we have such bright expectations for the future to let that go and to invite God's will in where we don't have control. But the thing that we see in this passage is that we are offered partnership with God's will, not dictatorship. See, Gabriel says that the spirit of God will overshadow her. And this is how Jesus will come. Now, God could have said, I'm going to make Jesus out of the dust, like I did with Adam. Jesus could have come from the clouds, any number of ways that didn't involve God's partnership with humanity. And yet, God chose to reach out to humanity and, and bring us to be a part of his will, to be enactors of his will. He offers us partnership. This word overshadow is something that we see throughout scripture of God's presence coming before his people, of bringing us to be part of his will, of bringing us into his kingdom to make his kingdom come here on earth. It's a little bit like being an Amazon Prime member. See, right before Thanksgiving, I suddenly realized, oh, I don't have a bag to take my car seat on the plane. Now, this not-sold-in-stores car seat bag was impossible to get unless I had Prime. See, all, well, most things are possible with Prime within a two-day delivery window. And I was able to get my car seat bag within that two days. If I didn't have Prime, it would not have been possible. With Prime, possible. Without Prime, not possible. Now, God's Holy Spirit 
is not something that we can manipulate. We don't get to click, oh, I want this by this day and I get it delivered. But it is like becoming a member of something. We become a member of God's family and he offers us his Holy Spirit. When we're not an Amazon Prime member, we don't get the benefits of that two-day delivery or sometimes our delivery. But when we are, we get to reap some of those benefits. When we aren't within the family of God, we don't get to experience the goodness of his Holy Spirit in partnership with us. But when we are, although we don't get to decide what is ordered or when it's ordered, we do get to be the deliverers of packages. We do get to see the outcomes. See, we may not be in control, but we do get to participate in God's plan. We do get to participate in his kingdom, which is coming. We don't get to control God's will. And this can be, honestly, one of the most troubling parts of being a believer because we want to know what is going to happen and how it's going to happen. But the good news is that we are offered partnership. We are offered the spirit of the living God to help us discern and guide our everyday and to bring about the reign of God here on earth. So first, God's will interrupts our lives. And second, God's will means we don't have control or we don't get to control his will. But I think the final aspect of Gabriel's announcement to Mary is possibly the hardest part for us to really feel like is good news because it's the thing that is the least conceptually clear to us, and it's the most distant and seemingly least impactful for today. That's that God's will is here, but not yet. Simultaneously, it's here, and it's not yet. See, Jesus' reign was the fulfillment of prophecies from the Old Testament long ago. We see that he is the... the king that reigns on the throne of David from long ago. But the people of Israel had to wait for years and years and decades for this king to come. And now we're on the other side of things where we've been told that Jesus is coming again. And so he's been here, but, but it's not quite yet. God's will is working here and now, but the fulfillment of it is not quite yet. And that's really hard for you and I to live in the tension of those things because it costs us. It costs us to believe in scripture that was written 2,000 years ago about a king who's coming back when there are more relevant ideologies that are occurring in our world today. It's hard to continue to go against the cultural norm for a fulfillment that is coming when we don't exactly see how it's going to happen. God, God's will is working here and now, but the entirety of it is not something that we can see yet. See, we know that we can trust God's will because Jesus came. We, we hear those prophecies. We've, we've heard them before about a king who's coming and Jesus came. And we see that in this passage, it says, for no word from God will ever fail but there are still prophecies. There are still things that Jesus has said. He will reign. He will return that are hard for us to trust and have faith in the midst of a culture that sees Christianity as outdated 
or rigid or irrelevant. It is hard to live in the tension of the here and the not yet. And God's will doesn't always seem good in those spaces. Just like Mary, we can't see the entirety of how his will will play out. Because it, it means that right now, you and I are going against our desires. We're going against our comforts. We're going against our, our cultural norms in ways that we hope will bring about the fulfillment of what God's will is. But it's not always tangible, and it's not always seen this side of heaven. Believing in the goodness of God's will can be a little bit like planting a cherry tree. You have great expectations of this delicious fruit that you'll get to make pies with or spit cherry pits in your backyard or whatever it may be. And six years after planting this tree, there's still no fruit. It becomes hard to believe that the cherry tree that exists without cherries is actually ever going to bring fruit. But the truth of the matter is, it takes four to seven years for a cherry tree to bring its first crop. And in the midst of that waiting, it's hard to believe that the goodness of a cherry tree is actually good when the fruit isn't there. See, often we can't see the value of something from our current standpoint because it's not the full picture. This reminds me of a story of a little boy who, on his sixth birthday, both of his grandmas came and visited him. And one of his grandmas had gone to the dollar store and she bought out the entire toy section. I mean, everything you could possibly imagine, colors of all kinds. She was just so excited to give her little six-year-old grandson everything that she possibly could. And he ripped open those presents and he just had toys galore and he was so excited because everything a little six-year-old could ever want was right before him. And then his other grandma proudly hands him a card that no six-year-old ever appreciates. And inside that card were a few eight and a half by 11 sheets that were folded up. And he looked at it and said, thank you, ran to his toys and threw it to the side. Now his mom, in all of her wisdom, kept that card. And 20 years later, she brought it back to him and she said, hey, do you remember this card that your grandma gave you? Of course, this boy who at six years old had tossed it to the side was like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. She hands it to him, and he opens it up. This grandma had bought him bonds. And this grandson, who was now 26 years old, was looking at going to a master's program. She said, I think you should cash these in. And these bonds paid for his entire master's program. Often, we can't see the value of something right here because the fullness and the fruit of it has not yet come. But waiting in that in-between, in the tension of the here but not yet, costs us. It is hard to see that God's will is good when we don't see the outcome. It is hard to see that God's will is good when we lose control. It is hard to see that God's will is good when it interrupts our norms and our daily way of doing things. But we believe that God's will is good 
because it's countercultural. We believe that God's will is good because it's bringing something new, because there's something that we have yet to experience and he has offered us a partnership to wait and see. So the announcement of God's will doesn't always seem like good news, even when we're told it is. So what is our response to be when God's will still doesn't seem good and when it does bring more complexity or more trouble in our lives? I do think that this is where going back to verse 38 of Luke chapter 1 gives us the best insight for how we can respond. It's what Mary says to the angel Gabriel. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. See, I don't think that we wait until tension is resolved or until we fully understand or can see the big picture of everything that's going on in order to believe that God's will is good. I I think that this response needs to be exactly what we see from Mary. I am the Lord's servant. It's obedience and submission, which I will totally be the first one to say, I don't always do. A yes day to God's will is incredibly intimidating and brings a lot of unknown. But we can see through the scripture that Mary's yes brought the Savior. Her yes to God's will and believing even when she couldn't fully understand that his will was good brought so much more. It brought salvation for you and I. It brought the kingdom. See, we don't always have to celebrate the interruptions. We don't have to feel good about losing control. And we don't have to love the here but not yet. We don't always get the resolution or the explanation that would make it easy for us to have faith or to trust and follow in obedience. And we probably won't understand the entirety of God's plan or the kingdom, and it will cost us. But ultimately, the news of God's will is the best news that any of us could ever possibly get. Because God's will is ultimately good.